Well, as always, I hope you've all have had a good week since we were last together, and I hope that you have a good Mother's Day. If your mother is gone to be with the Lord, I hope you take time to reflect on her and the memories that you had. I hope that maybe you call some siblings and talk about memories you all had together. If you're currently a father or a mother, I hope you take time to reflect on what kind of a mother your wife is, and that you take time to spend time with your mother today, either through a phone call or dinner or whatever it may be. Now, as we said last week, together we're starting going through the Gospel of John together, and we're going to continue going through the Gospel of John. And to kind of recap a little bit of what we talked about last week, we talked about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and that that word, Word, is Logos, kind of a a divine logic, a creating principle, an all-encompassing factor. And we talked about how profound it was in the way that John used it and the fact that even secular philosophical uh, professors, couldn't think of the word, sorry, (laughs) used John as an example. And even the Encyclopedia Britannica did in the way that he uses it. And we said that since he says, in the beginning was the word, hearkening back to creation, And using the Logos to show that Christ was eternal and all-encompassing, he's saying that Christ is God, he existed before creation, therefore the Trinity was present at creation. And we said that John 1 and Genesis 1 kind of parallel each other in different ways, in that if you read the beginning of Genesis, you'll see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, the Father speaking, and as John says, the Son creating. So they were all there in the beginning. Now, also, we said that because Christ is a creating factor, all things are created by him, through him and for him. And he is the life of the light of men. He is the life of the light that is within us. He is the one that illuminates us to the fact that we are sinners. He is the one that shows us the way to the father through himself. He is the one that allows us to shine in a world of darkness. And he is the one that is the life of the hope that we have. So if you haven't already, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Now, we talked about how the first 18 verses were essentially an introduction to the Gospel, and that John is going to introduce some of these ideas and these thoughts in a specific way that he wants us to think about words and phrases as we go through reading the life of Christ and the disciples, so we gain more of an understanding of the brevity of what is being said. And we also talked about how deep the gospel was. Remember, it was 23 pages long, but two theologians came up with 1,600 pages worth of commentary. But what we're going to do today is, even though in these verses we're going to read, verses 6 through 23, there is a lot of content in there. We're going to focus on the man that is being introduced to us today, a man that was very pivotal in the ministry of Jesus Christ, a man known as John the Baptist. And we're going to look at his life a little bit today. Now, John the Baptist was unique because, like Jesus, he was prophesied about in the Old Testament, twice in Malachi and once in Isaiah. And so we're going to read about the beginning of him coming into the gospel here. First John or John chapter one, verse six, sorry. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him the priest and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet had said. Now, oftentimes, as we go through the Gospels and we read the story of Christ and the disciples, we come across John the Baptist, and it just kind of seems like he's a like he's a man that existed and he was a prophet to kind of talk before God. We don't usually focus on the brevity of what was going on here. The fact of how Christ looked at him and the fact of how the Jews at that time were looking at what he was doing. You see, Jesus in Matthew eleven eleven is talking about John the Baptist and he states, Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, that is quite a compliment to come from Jesus, is it not? Essentially saying among any human beings, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And you think back to all the men that came before David, Moses, Abraham, Elijah, all these men. And John the Baptist is the greatest. So what is Jesus referring to at this? Because he then turns around in the second half of Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus immediately states, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is greater than John. So what is this meaning when he is saying this? Well, first off, Jesus is not saying that anyone who came before him is going to be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. That's not what he's saying. Anyone who came before him and declared him. The greatness that he is speaking of, or the fact that those who come after are greater, is the fact that those who come after Christ are more privileged in a sense. We have Jesus, we have his teachings, we have the Holy Spirit. There is a part of us that allows us to be greater in the kingdom. And yet, what made John the Baptist greatest was that he was kind of a bridge, if you will, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Many theologians call him the last prophet of the Old Testament, even though he is spoken of in the New, because he is the last one to declare that the Savior is coming. He is the bridge, and in everything, he is the forerunner. In conception, in birth, in the beginning of ministry, in death, 
Everything that happens in John's life, he is preceding Christ, kind of like he's making a path, if you will, like the prophet said. And clearly there is something different about him and his life and the way that he is teaching, because it says that the priests and the Levites were coming asking who he was. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? He was so different that he actually had to take it upon himself to tell them, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ, the one that you are hoping for. And he says that he is the one spoken of in Isaiah, preparing the way of the Lord. Now, in the book of Isaiah, when you see the word Lord there, all four letters are capitalized. L-O-R-D, all capitalized. And what that is, is when you see that, that is the proper name of God being used, Yahweh. They thought that when they were transcribing, the name of the Lord was too holy to use. So they would use that so that you knew that in that place, that was what was being used. So now think about the way that John is using this to tell this story. So John the Baptist is making way straight the way of the Lord the way of Yahweh, the one who follows in the path is the Logos. Can you see how those are merging together and what is happening with Christ as he comes on this earth? And to my knowledge also, what makes John the Baptist unique is that he is the only one, to my knowledge, if you know differently, you can correct me afterwards, that was prophesied about in the Old Testament And knew that he was other than Jesus. And what I mean by that is Christ would sit and he would teach and he would tell people, you know, I am the stone. He would refer to the Psalms. He would refer to Isaiah. He would use all these different prophecies to explain who he was. And in this moment, as we read through here, John the Baptist says that I am the one that Isaiah talked about. He was prophesied about and he knew that he was. And that also makes John the Baptist unique. And as we keep going through the story, we'll see that eventually in John 1:37, John the Baptist's disciples, Jesus' first few disciples, came from John the Baptist. You see, two of them left and went to go be with Jesus and follow him. Now, the name of one we don't know, but the name of the other one was Andrew. And Andrew was unique because he was Peter's brother. So Peter came to Christ because Andrew left John, went to Jesus, and then went and told Peter we found the Messiah. And then that is how Peter and Christ became connected, according to the Gospel of John. And we'll explore that later as well. But the way that John the Baptist's life ended is one that is unique. And I think Kevin was saying that you guys may be looking at that over in the cottage. Now, when he was imprisoned before he was beheaded, He sent two disciples to go ask Christ, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the one that we should keep waiting for? And Christ turns and he casts out demons and he heals sick and he does all these miracles. And then he turns back to the two who came and said, tell John of what you saw today. Tell him of what you saw, bearing witness. So this is the beginning. We talked about how John has themes that other gospels don't, right? And so this is the beginning of two themes coming through three different men. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, the themes are doubt from those who walk with Christ and taking it to Christ and Christ helping you through it. 
You see, sometimes we sit and we see these men and we've talked about how unfair it is to judge them. We talked about Palm Sunday. How could people declare Hosanna and then turn around and say, Barabbas, Barabbas, we want Barabbas. And we talked about how we do the same thing to Christ because we acknowledge him and we worship him. And yet we turn and sin. And I've heard it said when looking at these men, if I could see the Red Sea part or the pillar of fire, or Jesus work his miracles, then it would be so easy to not sin. And so I would challenge you if you have that viewpoint with this. There's a man in here who was welding a propane tank and it exploded and he's still alive. Another one whose back was pierced by a field cultivator and he's walking. And another one rear-ended by a semi and he's alive. Do you still sin? Do you still doubt? Human nature is within all of us. It is why we fall short and why we need a savior to judge these men because they were in the presence of Christ and still kept sinning. is something that goes against all of us because we all do that. We all need him just as they did. And even though John and Thomas and Peter doubt. Christ answers them when they come to him about it. Christ does miracles so that the two disciples could go back and tell John the Baptist of what they saw. Christ appears so that Thomas can feel his body and know that he has risen. And Christ then appears to Peter and continues to show him love. And keep that in mind as we continue to read through the gospel. And we see these themes developing in these three men. But there's a moment in John the Baptist's life that I'd like for us to focus on together today, since it's Mother's Day. And that is the first time that John the Baptist declared who Jesus Christ was. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 39 through 45. Now, to kind of give a little more of a background on John the Baptist while you're turning there, John the Baptist's father was Zacharias, who was a priest. Now, you'll notice when you read that it says that he was from the division of Abijah. You may be wondering, well, why were they divided? Well, in 1 Chronicles 24, King David begins getting Israel ready for the temple to be built. Now, he cannot build it because he was a man of war and he shed too much blood, but he had hope that his son would. So he took 24 descendants of Aaron and split them up into divisions. And what they would do would be all of them would come together and they would work the three major feasts. Passover, Pentecost, and the Tabernacles. And then they would come back every six months on rotation and take a week there at the temple. Now, Elizabeth was also from the line of Aaron. So you have two from the line of Aaron coming John the Baptist and two from the line of David coming Christ. When you look back to the genealogies. Now, also what made this unique about Zacharias was when Zacharias was in the tabernacle, at the <clears throat> at the altar of incense, he saw an angel and him and this angel began talking with each other. And the angel's name was Gabriel. Now, oftentimes when we read through the Gospels, we think that Mary was the first person in the New Testament to see an angel. But she wasn't. It was Zacharias. And it was even Gabriel, the same angel. So even In the angelic appearance, John is the forerunner to Christ in all things that keep happening. But what we're going to focus on here as we read through the scriptures is a special moment between two mothers who are pregnant with child. We have Elizabeth who is pregnant with John the Baptist and we have Mary 
who has just gotten uh, done speaking with Gabriel, and she is conceived and she is pregnant with Christ. And so if you will, read these verses with me. Luke 1, 39 through 45. Now at this time, Mary arose in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, when we sit and we kind of envision this moment between two mothers who are pregnant with child visiting each other, you know, if you're a if you're a husband and you've had children, you know that when your wife is pregnant, it's hard to describe. There's just this glow about her, this aura, right? I know it sounds odd if you're a woman, but it is. You can see it. It's like there's a, a pure love or a pure joy that is going on in your wife, and you can sense it. And so you can kind of see that with these two women as they sit and they visit with each other and the joy that's at hand. But when I was reading about this and thinking about what aspect to speak on, I think one of the aspects that makes this moment between these two women beautiful is that they have no idea what's coming. They have no idea what is coming to their sons. They don't know how they'll change the world, and they don't know what they're going to go through. All they know is that in this moment, they're carrying them and they love them. Now, what I mean by they have no idea what is to come, I'm sure you all know, but if you want, you can read with me in John chapter 19. If not, I'll read it aloud. John chapter 19, I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 27. And what this is, is this is the crucifixion of Christ. And after Christ was beaten and mocked and ridiculed and he is hanging on the cross, Mary is at the foot of the cross. John nineteen twenty five. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Now, when I was sitting and I was looking at this moment, I was trying to envision what would it be like seeing Christ on this cross through the eyes of Mary What was Mary going through in this moment? And, you know, I was sitting there thinking, well, you'd want to save your kid or maybe you would have encouraged him to leave if you'd have known this was going to happen. And I was going through all these things in my mind. And uh, so finally I asked my wife, and this may come as a shocker, but men and women think differently. Newsflash, right? (laughs) So (laughs) it shocked me, too. But uh, (laughs) but I asked Caitlin what she saw in this moment. And she said that if she was looking at this moment through the eyes of Mary, she would be seeing that a mother will do anything for her child. 
And so I asked her, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, you know, a mother will throw up every morning for nine months. She'll carry a child in pain. She'll go through the pain of labor. If a child is sick, she'll stay up with them all night long. She'll stand by their hospital bed if something is wrong. And if a mother has to, if their child is suffering, they will make themselves be there so that in that moment, they know that there is someone there that loves them, just like Mary was. And so I was thinking back on that to my own life and my relationship with my mother and all the times that my mother did things for me that as an adult you reflect back on and you appreciate a lot more. You know, when my mother was pregnant, she got towards the end of the pregnancy and she began bleeding and she had to be bedridden for a few months. So she gave up her life and laid on a bed so that I could make it. But when I was born, I was small. I was about 22 inches long and I think I weighed about six pounds, six and a half pounds, something like that. But even though I was so small, my mother held me in her arms and she nurtured me to health. And even when I got older, you know, I, about a year ago or more, I shared a little bit of my testimony with all of you guys. So, you know, part of it. And there was a phase of my life for about five or six years where from my doing, not my parents, uh, I was not around them very much. I kind of cut ties, unfortunately. But my mother would keep reaching out. And finally, we got to where she would come and see me. When I was down in Arkansas and the first time she came and visited me, she was kind of upset at the amount of alcohol that was all over the place in the fridge on the counter. And uh, she said something about it. And I just kind of snapped back at her. Well, you know, if you don't like it, you can get in the car and go back to Garden City. And I still remember her face when I said that and how upset she was. But she stayed and she visited and she came back a few months later and she would do things for me while I was at work, like kind of catch up with the house and the laundry and all these different things. And eventually I would find out later from my either my brother or my sister, one of the two, that when my mom was there, she would sometimes pray for me. And she would lift me up and hope that Christ would get hold of my life and change me. And uh, I think that's something that is beautiful about motherhood that is often overlooked and underappreciated and our weakest moments either in their arms as a child or as an adult in their prayers our mothers are with us either from a distance or with us in person now we look at this moment with mary and christ on the cross and we know that it's awful because obviously our savior is suffering and it's hard to think about christ going through that but it's also beautiful because you see what Mary is doing for Christ by being there. And you see the love that Christ had for her because knowing what was next, knowing that he was going to the grave, knowing that he would rise, yes, but then he would ascend to the Father. He makes sure that Mary is taken care of. The love between mother and child is something that does not go away. Now, returning back to the moment where Elizabeth and Mary are together, one of the moments that in the story that makes this so beautiful is how was it that Elizabeth knew who Mary was or what was with Mary? It is because the child within her jumped because mother and child, regardless of what the world says, are two separate entities. They are two separate lives. And when Mary came in, Elizabeth saw her cousin, 
But John within her saw the Messiah. And that is the beauty of the love between a mother and child is expressed between Christ and Mary, Elizabeth and John, and mother and child. Now, returning back to John the Baptist and some of the things that I want us to look for as we continue to go through the gospel, focusing on him, some lessons to learn from his life. One is have the courage to speak the truth. Have the courage to speak the truth about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done for us, to point people towards him, to say that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior. Even if it means that you will go through some type of a torment, some type of a struggle, still speak the truth about Jesus Christ and be humble and be obedient. We'll learn as we continue to go through the Gospel of John and focusing on John the Baptist that John the Baptist didn't even consider himself to be worthy to baptize Christ, nor worthy to even touch his sandals. And he says that greater is he who comes after me, for he was before me. Do we come to Christ with that same humility in our heart? The humility that understands what a privilege it is to know him and to have a relationship with him. And no matter what your sin or your struggle is, whether it's doubt or not getting into the word of God enough or Whatever it is, bring it to the cross and lay it at the foot of Christ and allow Christ to come and guide you through it. Allow him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to do so. And last, I hope the thing that we learn from John the Baptist as we continue to go through the gospel is to trust that all is well. All is well no matter what happens to us. Sometimes we look at the men and women in the Bible and we see them declaring Christ and coming to this horrible end, whether it's beheading or tortured or whatever. We think to ourselves that that is something that is very intimidating to face, but persecution comes in many different forms. It can be getting mocked. It can be getting ridiculed. It can be the owner of a store saying, I don't think like that, get out of here. It can be many different things. It can be a friend or a family member mocking you at a meal. It can be, I mean, I know in my own life, when I was playing baseball, I had people that would write 666 on my jersey just to mock me because I would talk about coming here on Wednesday nights. There are all sorts of ways that you will get persecuted if you declare who Christ is. But even in that, have faith, trust that all is well. And all is in his will. So I hope that as we continue to go through the gospel of John, these things are on your heart with John the Baptist, Thomas, and Peter. And I hope that you take the time to focus on a mother's love and on the story of Elizabeth and Mary, because all of us understand the joy that a mother had in those moments because of our moms and what they mean to us. Let's pray. Christ, we thank you for all you've given us. We thank you for the mothers in this room and the mothers that will be. We thank you for the mothers that we have, how they sacrificed for us and how they cared for us. We pray, Lord, that this is a good day for everyone. We pray that you help us to just continue to bring our sins to you, to lay them down, to allow you to reveal yourself to us, to not be afraid to show you that we are scared, and to allow you to guide us through the valleys ahead. We pray that you continue to guide us in the week ahead and that your light shines to those who are around us. Amen.